Welcome to Caring for Tomorrow, a podcast series from the Washington Post, Brand Studio, and Cleveland Clinic that explores the changes, challenges, shifts, and solutions that are defining the future of healthcare. We will examine some of the issues facing the system, as well as the advances that are transforming it for the better. Along the way, you will hear how leaders in healthcare, like Cleveland Clinic, are using innovation to improve patient care for people everywhere. Hi, this is Joan London. I am a journalist and author and health and wellness advocate, so I am so happy to be here today as your host and moderator. Today's discussion on how healthcare has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic features a one-on-one conversation with Dr. Tomislav Mahaljevic, CEO and President of Cleveland Clinic. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world forever, and perhaps no group has been more affected than healthcare organizations like Cleveland Clinic. We will discuss how his organization responded and adapted in the face of the public health crisis, touching on the Hope Hospital, supply chain solutions, and more. He will also look ahead, discussing how Cleveland Clinic is preparing for the care challenges in the coming months and how the pandemic may shape enduring health system transformation into the future. Doctor, hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Joan. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Boy, we started working on the developing of this podcast at the beginning of the year, and so much has happened since then. I want you to take me back to that time when you and your staff first started coming to the realization that this was going to be a global pandemic. What were those conversations like? Well, our first conversation started at we actually started observing the changes outside of the United States. Uh, Cleveland Clinic is based in Cleveland, Ohio. However, we are an international health provider. So we do have a very substantive presence abroad in uh, Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi. has been our first hospital that has experienced uh, the challenges in taking care of patients with COVID-19. And that was quite some time before pandemic arrived to the United States. So that is when we really got alerted about the threat of the pandemic and started preparing our entire enterprise worldwide for what was about to come. When you realized it was coming our way here in the United States, what were those first initial steps you started taking? Well, first of all, we realized that uh, there is a great potential for the disease to spread and to spread relatively rapidly. We clearly, just based on our international experience, realized that personal protective equipment is one of the major challenges. And then we also started to prepare our environment as well as our caregivers for potential pandemic. How did you go about preparing your healthcare providers for something they'd never really seen before? That was a, a true challenge because pandemic of these proportions has never been experienced by any of us. So we realized that we have to approach uh, this pandemic differently than we do approach usual challenges in healthcare. The way we've done it is uh, first we made all the uh, preparations in order to ensure that we have a sufficient amount of personal protective equipment and number of providers and space to take care of our patients. But as we were doing our calculations, we realized that we actually may need more providers in an intensive care units, for example, than what we're currently having on our staff. So we created a training programs 
for other healthcare providers who had a fundamental knowledge about, for example, intensive care, yet haven't maybe practiced it in a few years. And we train them ahead of time to uh, be prepared so they can step in into the roles that they may not have uh, occupied since their training. The other good example of preparation for the unknown was the rationalization of personal protective equipment. We understood that if, although we had a lot of supplies, if we were to be faced with a phenomenal wave of uh, patients, we had to figure out how can we keep ourselves safe, our patients safe, and yet use as little personal protective equipment as possible so that we can have a sufficient supplies. That may sound like a trivial question, but it is a really, really complex exercise of understanding when to put a personal protective equipment on, when to take it off, how to coordinate it with the rest of the team. But just a few examples of the immense amount of preparation that was put in place uh, as we were opening our Hope Hospital, as we were looking to address the potential needs. I know you put together Hope Hospital very, very quickly. Tell me about that. Yeah, Hope Hospital is the name that we used for the space that is actually not a hospital. We took over the health education campus, the very unique space here in Cleveland. It is an education campus that Cleveland Clinic and Case Western Reserve University have built together. It houses four different schools, two medical schools, Case's and ours, Cleveland Clinics, and a nursing school from Case and a dental school. It is a wonderful, wonderful uh, environment where our young students start their educational journey together as a team. And we use that space to bring additional bed capacity to proximity of our hospitals and uh, converted health education campus into a Hope Hospital with close to 1,000 beds in scope of three weeks. We always try to be at least a step or two ahead of disease. And we said, well, we're going to create this additional capacity. And the worst and the best thing that can ever happen is for us never to use it. It would actually turn out to be true. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that the Cleveland Clinic faced in terms of stocking up on necessary health care supplies during the pandemic and some of the strategies that you use to address shortfalls that we in the public heard so much about? Cleveland Clinic has always paid a lot, a lot of attention that we have all the supplies that we need for our patients and our caregivers. But obviously, with this new challenge of pandemic, there's this unprecedented need for relatively simple items, something that we never had to worry about, such as masks and gowns and gloves. As we were looking at our stock supplies, which were sufficient, we then looked at a projected number of patients that we may need to treat. We realized that we may be coming short. Out of abundance of cautions, we proactively started to look in our neighborhoods to see who could help us, who could help us produce some of the personal protective equipment uh, masks that were particularly valuable. Here in Ohio, we have a very vibrant Amish community. So our colleagues from the supply chain approached the members of the Amish community that were just absolutely wonderful partners. And uh, within the next couple of weeks, we had tens of thousands of uh, face masks that were made, handmade by the members of Amish community and that were distributed to the patients or caregivers here. So that is just one example of how our communities, broader communities got together. 
I know that you also participated in organizing a ventilator database along with the White House, so to make sure that the ventilators were delivered to the areas with the greatest need. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, as we all collectively uh, looked at what was happening in Europe with a large number of patients who needed ventilators to keep them alive and a relative shortage of ventilators in some countries, we quickly came to the realization that we need to get ourselves organized. And we participated in the initiative that was started by some of our colleagues uh, and at a federal level to create a virtual ventilator bank. And we contributed a part of our stock of ventilators to that virtual ventilator bank that can be activated at any time to deliver those ventilators to the areas of need. We looked at a country as a whole and we quickly realized, obviously, that there are certain areas that are hotspots and need a lot of ventilators. And then we had certain parts of the country that are more fortunate, Ohio, one of them, I think that was just uh, yet another example of what we can do, how much good can yeah. be created when we work together. didn't take long to, to do something as, as important as creating a ventilator bank. Your researchers there, they developed the world's first model to forecast an individual patient's likelihood of testing positive for COVID-19. Tell us about that model and how that's kind of pioneered how people will deal with this. So here's the reason behind the importance of that model to predict who is going to test positively for COVID. As you, I'm sure, remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, one of the big challenges uh, among many was our ability to test. This is a new disease. Uh, the new disease that we never faced before. Therefore, we did not have the sufficient amount of testing equipment. Uh, The technologies are still being developed. And with this precious yet restricted resource of ability to test, what we wanted to make sure is that we're using the test for the patients who are going to benefit from the testing most. So obviously, if there are ways to predict who is most likely to turn out positive. That's how we directed our testing resources to those in greatest needs. And now this uh, algorithm is being used nationwide and worldwide. It just simply accurately predicted the likelihood of a person to be positive. And you outlined it very, very correctly, particularly at the very beginning of pandemic, let's say that a young person from uh, rural, our home state of Ohio, from rural environment is going to test positive because the pandemic uh, didn't reach those areas yet. But we knew that people who are in particularly nursing homes, elderly, who had a number of other diseases they're coping with, are much more likely uh, to test positive. There are a lot of different scenarios in between, and it was really helped us in predictable way allocate those precious resources. Uh, and testing continues to be a very precious resource worldwide. The pandemic hasn't only affected care delivery, but also hospital operations. Lay out for us, if you will, some of the operational challenges Cleveland Clinic face, such as financial shortfalls and human resource concerns. How have you addressed those areas? And why did you make the decision to keep your care providers whole? What we all thought, based on the best information that we had available at the time, that we will be faced with a phenomenal wave of patients. That's why we built a Hope Hospital. That's why we stopped doing elective planned procedures so that we can conserve the resources, personal protective equipment, space and people. 
and create a capacity for this wave of patients that we were expecting to come and hit us. Now, fortunately, that big wave never arrived. Now, as a consequence, we had about two to two and a half months during which our hospitals were essentially empty. Yet we had our full staff on pay. We had additional costs of gathering all this equipment that we needed for COVID. And as a consequence, the big paradox of this pandemic is that a healthcare industry, the one that is supposed to protect us from the pandemic, has actually been hit one of the hardest with the financial challenges. Hospitals operate on a very narrow margin in the best of times, and the worst of times, this becomes a significant challenge. We here at the Cleveland Clinic decided to get through this entire journey as we always do through anything as a family. We uh, employ close to 70,000 caregivers across the world. We do everything as a team and we decided to stick together as a team. So we have not laid off, uh, furloughed uh, any of our caregivers. We kept all of our caregivers uh, whole. And not only that, but in order to protect caregivers during this time of stress, we have put in additional resources around them to help them uh, navigate through their own lives. People oftentimes forget that healthcare workers do this wonderful job at their workplace, but they also have their families at home. They have children who need healthcare. They have elderly parents. They have spouses who may have lost jobs during this area wave of unemployment. And what we did is we put a lot of resources to prop them up. And for example, those who, the few of those who became infected, we made sure that they get their meals at home, that we checked on them frequently. And uh, that has been a very significant source of effort, but also a source of pride for us. What I would like to share with you is that during this pandemic, you know, we have never seen a unity in our organization that has always been very tightly and closely knit. But this is unprecedented. We have the highest engagement we've ever had in the history of the organization. So there are many silver linings of this challenging time. So this is one of them. Well, by approaching it in that way, you really kept everybody together as a team. I mean, these people we're talking about, they are the heroes of this pandemic. All of you who have kept people alive. Well, you know, this is our calling. We, we get into this profession not because uh, we view this as a job. That's why we went into medicine. This is an extraordinary effort in extraordinary times, but that is why people in my, our profession uh, choose medicine as, as their calling. So that's what really excites us. We as an organization, and I believe I can speak on behalf of all of my colleagues in healthcare in general really view this as an honor. We're honored by the fact that people are putting their health and their lives into our hands. And uh, this is a wonderful responsibility that we carry to take, to take care of them. Yes, but we went through this as a family. We firmly believe that this is important. And, and we just simply did not want it to be a part of the paradox that we see that, you know, just in the United States, you know, close to a million healthcare workers, at least temporarily, lost their jobs and their livelihoods during the time when their services are needed at the most. I imagine it's been quite a task. I mean, life goes on, pandemic or not. People have heart attacks. People have strokes. They take falls, whatever it may be, to try to manage that. And there's I assume some fear or reluctance to even come into a hospital when, you know, what life throws your way happens. 
Agenda is a very, very important observation. Uh, I would like to put things a bit in a context today. For us as a Cleveland Clinic, one of the larger national providers of healthcare, at no point did we have to allocate more than 3 to 4% of our hospital resources for the treatment of COVID patients. COVID is a centerpiece of a public discussion. But when we take a look really across the board, there are those areas, uh, hot zones, that were very, very busy for uh, several weeks. They may be overwhelmed with patients, but vast majority of hospitals had actually a relatively small fraction of their hospital capacity allocated to COVID patients. For us at the Cleveland Clinic means that 95% of all patients who are in our hospitals do not have COVID, yet almost uniformly, all of them are affected by COVID. They're not infected, but they're affected. And they're affected in many different ways. You're absolutely right. People, because of the fear of COVID, do not seek regular care. You know, they seek to postpone their cancer screenings. They do not uh, go for their regular checkups. And uh, it is a major concern of ours that we will be paying a price of COVID pandemic uh, measured in a human lives that is going to be much higher than uh, just the lives lost due to the infection. Deferment of necessary care can be very, very dangerous. As you well know, I mean, you're such a prominent healthcare advocate. Our best chance to beat cancer is early detection. Yeah. And I hear from women day in and day out on my social media channels that they're putting off having mammograms. They don't want to go in. And that's a really scary thought. That is a very scary thought, and it is really, really important for us to debunk a few myths about, about COVID hospital environment. First of all, hospital environment is very, very, very safe. Okay. There is no other environment that you can ever walk into where everyone is masked, <laughs> when there are hand sanitizers, when people are educated and conscientious about physical distancing. So I would like to assure our listeners that the hospitals are safe and that should not defer their care. I cannot tell you how passionate we are about it and how important it is for all of us to spread that message. How do you go about developing safety measures for the patients and the healthcare providers and just really rapidly make your environment safe? Well, safety has always been the main point of everything that we do. Safe care is of a paramount responsibility for every healthcare provider. So this notion of safety has been deeply embedded at Cleveland Clinic in each and every one of us. But we had to make a lot, a lot of uh, modifications in uh, our day-to-day -day life in a hospital. The big advantage for us as an organization that we act as a unit. We've always worked together as a team, not as an agglomeration of individuals. And we can move very quickly. And we did move very quickly. We, for example, eliminated uh, half of our chairs from the waiting area so that we can have appropriate social distancing in every waiting area. We limited the number of entry points in our hospitals so that we can minimize the risk of visitors inadvertently coming into our space and bringing an infection into a safe hospital space. We have provided a hand sanitizer pretty much in every corner of our hospitals. We've implemented temperature screenings at every entry point and made sure that we have a plenty of masks to be distributed for every one of our 
colleagues as well as for everyone or our patients as they were entering our facilities. And the list goes on and on and on. But all of that was done in a matter of a few weeks. It really didn't take much to reach every corner of our organization. We have more than 200 sites at which we deliver care nationally. So it, it was not a, it's not a small task. And then lastly, the communication is very, very important. What we've learned during this pandemic is that informing our patients and our caregivers is a real responsibility of a leadership team. We have a daily communication. We speak with our leadership team on a daily basis. We uh, share the communication with everyone in the organization every single day. I'm spending more time in front of a camera than I've ever had. <laughs> Literally uh, updates every single day because things change. Our knowledge about the disease changes, and we have to implement measures based on the best information that we have at the time, but as information changes, we make appropriate adjustments, tweaks. What is paramount is communication. I cannot emphasize that enough. That keeps everyone informed. People deal much better with uncertainty if they're informed about the measures about how to counteract it. The worst thing is, is not communicating. We do still see these hotspots emerging around our country, around the world. How is the Cleveland Clinic kind of approaching that so you'll be ready for it on all of your campuses around the world? Well, there are two ways to approach it. For large organizations like ours, we have first to do our internal preparation. So we have to make sure that we are ready. So we make sure that our people are ready, that we have personal protective equipment, space and resources. The other side of our responsibility is to uh, a public advocacy and to work together with the local and regional state governments. We had a wonderful collaboration in Florida and Ohio in coordinating our efforts to take care of all of our fellow citizens in a coordinated manner. We provided counsel, we provided resources, but we also actively participated with other hospitals to create a network, a safety network for our communities. And uh, we have had a lot of success. I think here in Northeast Ohio, where we have uh, the largest presence, is just an unprecedented degree of collaboration with our colleagues from uh, neighboring hospitals, university hospitals, metro, and other hospitals in the state. It has been really a, a wonderful show of unity and a wonderful testament what we can do when we work together. You've really at Cleveland Clinic provided this kind of global example of how to approach the pandemic. But I know how involved you are also locally with your local communities. Talk to me a little bit about addressing this from both the local and the global perspective at the same time. Even global medicine is local in every, <laughs> in every aspect, so to say. I know it so sounds like an oxymoron, but it is, it is true. Um, we uh, have a very deep understanding that in order for us during this pandemic, for each of us to stay safe, we have to make sure that our entire community stays safe, both our immediate community, our families, as well as our broader community. Uh, we have put a particular emphasis on those who are the least fortunate among us. People in a lower socioeconomic status with a challenging income are minorities and offer the educational support, additional resources, free access to testing, home care, meaning care at the comfort of their own home. We have gone proactively in identified uh, more than 20,000 of our neighbors who are at the highest risk of becoming infected with COVID. 
and made sure that we keep them safe. And uh, we went even so far that we offered our broadband connectivity from the antennas at the, at the roof of our hospitals to allow access, broadband access to our neighbors. Because a lot of healthcare today uh, can be delivered through digital devices. Doctor, what are the next priorities for your researchers in terms of delivering new coronavirus treatments? Our researchers have been immensely active during this period. Uh, research activity uh, ha- is progressing at an unprecedented pace, and that is uh, the result of the realization how important it is, but also it is a result of the fact that uh, very many researchers across the world are working together. They're uniting their forces and resources to find a cure or vaccine for COVID-19 pandemic. As a result, uh, Cleveland Clinic researchers have uh, generated uh, several million dollars in funding and have published more than 320 papers on uh, the topic of COVID pandemic and have contributed significantly by creating new knowledge in the ways that we treat patients with an infection. The most important areas of interest is obviously the development of of a vaccine. That is now in the focus of a public interest. And I have to say that none of us has ever, ever seen such a rapid progression in the development of, uh, of a vaccine for a new disease. It is hard to imagine, but COVID pandemic started here in the United States only seven months ago, wow. January 21st, yeah. Yeah. was when we had a first patient here in the United States. I believe that most of us would say that uh, We're positively surprised about the fact that we'll most likely have a viable vaccine or vaccines for use uh, by the end of this year or beginning of next. And in terms of treatment, I know that there's ongoing trials with taking COVID patient plasma and giving it to the sickest patients. And you've been having trials on that. Yes, we will be participants in a large trial of what we call a convalescence plasma, meaning a plasma from people who've recovered from the disease because their plasma contains a lot of antibodies that can stem the infection or at least alleviate the severity of the disease for those who are at the sickest spectrum, so to say, those who are critically ill with COVID-19. And uh, yet I do believe that uh, the biggest excitement is obviously around the areas of vaccination. It is typically really, really difficult to find a cure for viral disease. Uh, for, For most viral diseases, the most effective way to combat them is through vaccination. Doctor, this pandemic has led to huge changes at health organizations like Cleveland Clinic. But are there any silver linings from, you know, changes in approaches or innovations or even operational tactics that have emerged in recent months because of the pandemic that will really have lasting effects long after this thing is gone? I view this pandemic as an accelerator of changes uh, in healthcare. And not all of that is uh, bad. Actually, there's, as you said, there are very many silver linings here. Uh, So when it comes to clinical care, uh, what we have learned in this process in the last six or seven months, how telemedicine is a valuable asset for all of us, that a lot of care that we provide can be provided safely at a distance. So that is certainly here to stay, and that is a welcome change. 
right before the beginning of the pandemic, we firmly believed in the digital health and we were doing about, uh, you know, few thousand digital visits every month. During a pandemic, that number rose to 200,000 wow. digital visits a month. Remarkable. And it was a reflection of a real need and a hunger of people to receive medical care, the comfort and safety of their own home. There are other silver linings that come along with this pandemic. Uh, one that I'm particularly passionate about is the restoration of the recognition of uh, noble profession that healthcare is. And I think that our communities and our societies have uh, regained the insight into how important and how noble healthcare is and how much sacrifice our healthcare professionals demonstrate every single day. There are so many wonderful heroic examples of uh, people lending the helping hand to one another I can just speak for our organization, Cleveland Clinic's caregivers have volunteered to help others in need. We had our caregivers uh, who went and spent more than a month in New York City during uh, the worst crisis in New York Presbyterian. We had a, a large group uh, of our caregivers who went to Detroit, Michigan, to Henry Ford Hospital to help out, and the other one that went to the United Arab Emirates, you know, 7,000 miles away, to lend a helping hand to our fellow caregivers over there. So there's just a wonderful examples of, uh, of humanity that have come out of this. And I think we have all become better for it. And I certainly am convinced that it is here to stay. Um, probably for us as a country, but the world as a whole. I'm certainly very hopeful that this pandemic has brought home the realization of how important the health is in our broader community and how dependent we are on one another. Diseases like this, they do not understand the word boundaries. They do not understand race. They do not distinguish among uh, rich or poor. The disease simply spreads. And we as a community simply have to unite in our response, but also in our solidarity to one another. Uh, that is the only way that we are going to stem this and control this pandemic, but also that is the only way that we're going to be successful in uh, taking care of the pandemic of the future. But I'm very optimistic. I, I do believe that uh, while this continues to be a big challenge for us, I think that we're going to rise and get through this uh, by being better, better as a healthcare providers, better as a country. Every pandemic ends. This one is also going to come to an end. And thanks to the technology, thanks to uh, the tools of the 21st century when it comes to research, this is probably going to end much faster than uh, any pandemics that we used to have in the past. I am very, very optimistic. This too will end. This will not last forever. And it is really important to keep this perspective in mind. When you look back over the past seven months, what philosophies have guided you along the way as you've had to make some very tough decisions? Well, the leading philosophy for every decision that we've ever made is pretty simple. And uh, that has really carried us through before the pandemic, but also through the pandemic. We have not really moved away from our values and from our mission and from our principle. And a simple principle that we have is that we strive to take care of every member of our hospital, every caregiver as a family. We strive to take care of every one of our patients as a family, and we take care of our organization as our home. And we always say that as if we uh, look at uh, the world through this lens, we're always going to come to the right decision. 
That has always been a guiding thought for all of us at Cleveland Clinic. And uh, this organization is based on those principles. And uh, that has allowed this organization to shine through tough times as well through good times. And we have not really changed anything, quite frankly. We had just firmly adhered to our core beliefs to work as a team, to treat one another and our patients nicely. And we just made sure that we take our Cleveland Clinic family through this pandemic uh, as a whole. Before we wrap up, we have a segment that we call If You Remember One Thing, where we ask our experts to reflect on one key takeaway from this episode. So, doctor, what is the one thing that you think listeners should take away? I think for our listeners to take away is, I would say, a sense of a shared responsibility, quite frankly. I think we all have a shared responsibility when it comes to the success of our ability, our collective ability to control this pandemic. That shared responsibility is here for all of us to share, regardless of our age, regardless of our position, place where we live. But with that notion of shared responsibility, uh, as I said, I continue to be very, very optimistic And uh, I believe that we know that there is a way how to deal with this. And if we all do our little piece, we'll be just fine. Oh, I love ending there. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us today. And we thank all of you for listening. Please join us for our next episode, Digital Health. We've talked about that today. We'll talk more about digital health. And if you like caring for tomorrow, please rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.